Hi, hi, hello, guys. I am Rui, as always. And this is Macabre Ramblings. A true crime full ramble. And so, following what I have said in the last episode, you know, the final, the part 3 for the Robert Hansen case, I'm going to just research whatever I want to research and just ditch the alternate true crime, paranormal, true crime, paranormal I had got going on back then in the past because I want to research stuff that makes me feel more fulfilled instead of like focusing or following a certain rule that i have made for myself and then end up and i ended up realizing that that is actually the plan that is not what's best for me and so complying with this new plan i am going to uh present to you another true crime case for this episode and this would be about the setagaya family murders and I'm saying this like right now, it's going to be quite a weird and just a mind-boggling case. Makes you feel like sitting down on a spot, you know, your favorite chair, your favorite corner, wherever you feel most comfortable and just mull over it, think it over, wonder what the heck really had happened for this murder this massacre this family annihilation to happen you there's quite a few theories that you could think about because there's quite just weird things that could be taken note of that i'm going to say once i start talking about this case and now let's start so the setagaya family murders the family isn't really a setagaya that's not their surname they are the Miyazaki family and they moved to Kamisoshigaya Street in 1991 and this is in the Setagaya district. The place was back then it has like a lot of houses, a neighborhood with over 200 residential buildings just scattered all around the vicinity. And Setagaya district is one of Tokyo's 23 districts. This district is the second largest of them all. It's just located just southwest of the main city and just a short distance away from it is the Tokyo Bay and it is a very residential looking area that stands out from the busy cramped surroundings in Tokyo because it's like the capital and there's quite a lot of people residing in Tokyo quite a lot of businesses companies and all that stuff so the building or the house where the Miyazaki family is living in or was living in it's a shared building that is actually split into two so when you look at it from the outside from the outside perspective it kind of looks like just one house but it's actually split into two it's quite like a duplex 
it allowed the Miyazawa to live right next door, like literally wall, <laughs> like next door to Yasuko's family. And Yasuko is the mother of the Miyazaki family. So they're just living right beside Yasuko's family. Her mother, mostly, so the grand, the grandma of their children. But also in this next door house is Yasuko's sister and her brother-in-law who lived with the grandma during the, this time period where the crime had happened. So this allowed a total of seven family members to live in this duplex or like a house that looks like it's just one house but actually it's split into two. So uh, to get from one side to the other, you, you actually need to go outside and enter through another door. And this close proximity actually had Mikio, the father, feel like uneasy because you could have conflicts between family members if they're like way too close to each other. And so he proposed a kind of like soundproofing for both of the places. Everybody agreed to that because, you know, families, it's good to have close family ties, but you still need to have a certain privacy when it comes to the very internal happenings within your own close like immediate family the wife the husband and the children kind of thing so behind the house is a park it's going to be kind of like important to this case and this park is actually a park where little little kids play and they call it the choo-choo train park <laughs> so literally a children's park so the park had been there for years now but the city had been actually planning on expanding it at the time this somehow meant that most of the neighbors of the Miyazawa had been moving out in recent months in order to make way for the expansion so I suppose the government or the owners of the land are like buying the houses near the Miyazawas and so they are moving to other places so because of that the community that had once have over 200 families had now been narrowed down to just four two of those families are the Miyazawas and their relatives next door so there are only two other families that lived on their street Besides that, it feels like the neighborhood has became a ghost town of some sort. So because it's like kind of like looking of like a ghost town, most of the activity from the area was happening in the park right behind the Miyazawa family home. So now because there's not much children hanging around, skaters usually hang around there. But because there's some skaters and this is like the busiest part of the street this led to some issues for the Miyazawas because the park is literally located directly behind the house it feels like sometimes there's noises it's way too noisy and so they try to talk to the people hanging around in the park to just quiet down because it's way too noisy and the park is directly just very very close to the house so I've been talking about the house of the family, the surroundings, the actual neighborhood, but who actually are the members of the Miyazawa family? 
So the father is named Mikio Miyazawa. He is 44 years at the year of the crime. He worked for a London-based marketing firm, which is Interbrand. It's actually unclear what kind of work Mikio did for the firm, but this was a large company that has offices in over 20 countries and they actually also worked on large marketing campaigns for companies like Microsoft, Nissan, Xerox, and many others. Actually, the year before, in 1999, so this crime happened in 2000. So in 1999, Interbrand was actually the company responsible for branding the term Wi-Fi. So the company is really big or like kind of like famous or it has done quite a lot of things. So the employees at Interbrand, the colleagues of Mikio, call him as congenial. They claim that he was the kind of guy that got on well with everyone. Definitely not the sort of person to make enemies. So that is the father. The mother is Yasuko Miyazawa. She is 41 years old. And she was kind of just like the same as her husband. She is seen as kind and compassionate. She was a teacher, but she spends a lot of time with her children. The eight-year-old Nina and, and six-year-old Ray. So Nina, the older child, she is an active young girl. She was in second grade at school, and she's actually a year ahead in her studies. So she's very clever. She's showing like intelligence at such a young age she also really loved ballet and she loves showing off her moves to her grandma setsuko so Rei, the youngest of the family his sick he is six years old he actually has an issue and he has been going through a speech impairment which had been causing the family a fair amount of stress so they ended up start seeking out professional help for the matter so Rei is getting some help but seems like he is still having some problems at the time at, two, at the year 2000 so actually both families the Miyazawa and Yasuko's mother's family just right beside them had has plans to eventually move away from Kamisoshigaya and they had already sold off their land to the city but Yasuko was kind of hesitating because she has two small children with her and she was worried that her children would have a hard time adopting to a new place, especially since Rei has this development disorder. So she was uh, hesitant to move like right now, but they have plans to move, but just in the future. And so now let's enter the day before the crime happened. <sighs> it's just so sad talking about what the family is like before the crime they look just like your normal family with normal family things and it looks like they're even if they're having issues it looks like they're happy they're uh, it's just so sad to think what would happen to them <laughs> and i'm going to say what would happen to them what had happened to them and it just makes me sad so the day before the crime, a witness saw the Miyazawas shopping at around 6 p.m. at Seijo blah, 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 at Seijo Gakuen May Station, and this is just under a mile from their home. 
A neighbor confirmed that at around 6 6.30 p.m., their car was not in their driveway quite yet, so they're still not at home. Probably they're still shopping or they're on their way back home. So at 7 p.m. that evening, Yasuko called her mother, the one who, who lives next door, and nothing much came out from that call, probably just a normal call between families and such. And around that time, or an hour after that, Nina visited her grandmother that evening. She had used the grandmother's computer to watch a recorded TV program until 9.38 p.m. And then at around 10.38 to 10.45, there are records that the family computer received an email that actually required a password to open. And, and this is for Mikhail, the father. And unfortunately, this is the latest time that everybody knows of that the, that the Miyazawas were still alive. <clears throat> so now... Let's go to December 31st, 2000. Oh my god, it's New Year. <laughs> New Year's Eve. So, in the morning, Yasuko's mother, the grandmother, she was calling the Miyazawas, but she was unable to reach them by telephone because at that point in time, <sighs> their phone line was cut. Um, and this was the first time that something was wrong and so because she was living just right beside the Miyazawas she decided to go on over and knock on their door though after knocking a few times there was no response so she decided to just go in and then what she saw was a traumatic and very gruesome scene so the first one that she saw that she sees is Mikio, he was lying at the bottom of the staircase leading up to the second story and he was stabbed multiple times. He's already dead and my god, just, just the image of that. So panicked, Yasuko's mother, the grandma, going up, goes upstairs to the second story to try to see what had happened to the rest of her family. So immediately at the top of the stairs, she finds the bodies of her daughter, my goodness, Yasuko, and her granddaughter, Nina. Both of them are also brutally stabbed dozens of times. Oh, this is just so sad because Yasuko's mother, in a statement, recalls that she actually put her hands on the bodies of her daughter and granddaughter. She was trying to still see if there was a chance that they were still alive. Unfortunately, they weren't. So she calls the police. She's still stained by the blood of her family. <laughs> and she eventually, I haven't, I haven't written it down in my notes, but I think she eventually finds Ray, the youngest, still on his bed. And he wasn't stabbed, but he was strangled to death. So everybody is dead. So when the children's paternal grandmother, Setsuko, find out what happened, she said that she blanked out with shock. Up until now, inside her home, she actually keeps a shrine to the family because in Japan, there's this culture where they have this shrine 
for the deceased family members so they pay respects through that shrine and so she keeps a shrine for the family and she prays for them she also has their toys the children's toys on display in a cabinet she said in an interview quote i always wonder how they would have grown up my biggest regret is that i never got to see them grow up end quote and apparently she could not remember what happened in the funeral because she was so traumatized actually and she she just could not walk and she had to be carried inside so that's how harrowing and just traumatizing it is for Setsuko and I could not imagine Yasuko's like mental health at that time because she was the one who saw the scene just oh my goodness oh my goodness so of course this was a gruesome scene the police was called so there was an investigation of the crime scene by the Tokyo Metropolitan Police Department, TMPD, and they concluded that the family had been murdered on December 30 at around 11.30 p.m. Japan Standard Time. So the one who was designated as the person in charge of the investigation was Takeshi Tsuchida, is the chief of Seijo Police Station, and right now he is retired. <clears throat> and there was i found an interview of him that he did and he is already retired at this point but he said that this is a case that he just could not let go because he said that the facial expressions from the bodies that he inspected he just could not forget how they looked like he said in the interview quote when you compare victims who die from illness or natural causes to those who are suddenly murdered, they look very different. They have furious facial expressions. They are mortified and regretful. I imagine that all of the victims felt the same way, just feeling regret. When I think about the brutality in the way uh, he, the attacker, murdered the four, I just wonder how could a sane person carry out such an extreme crime? He slashed them from above the chest to the face as if he tormented them it was extremely brutal and the way he finished them off in the very end it was so horrific we couldn't show those scars to the devastated victims families there are no other cases in which the victims have been cut up like this end quote so it's definitely a crime that he could not forget and japan could not forget and we shouldn't forget because i'm going to say it right now i suppose you could say spoiler alert but the perpetrator the murderer the killer nobody still knows who it is this is an unsolved crime so because the crime was so bad and nobody knows who it is and the whole family was annihilated there was intense public concern and actually this led the superintendent general of the metropolitan police department to make a personal inspection of the crime scene and actually this is the first time that the capital's police chief has taken such a hands-on approach looking through the different clues and uh uh going through the investigation the police made up like a theory or an assumption, a hypothesis on what had happened that night. 
because they still don't know who the culprit is so they don't know the exact happenings in the house so they just piece it together the best they can and this is what they thought happened they assumed that the killer entered through the open window of the second floor bathroom at the rear of the house and this is a window facing the park the park that was behind their house and the killer gained access of this window by climbing up a tree and then he removed the window screen there's an assumption that the guy is male so i'm going to use the pronoun he him so he gained access by climbing the tree and then removing the window screen so footprints from the criminal were found below the window as well as broken tree branches just below it so that's how they got this hypothesis so the killer apparently climbed the chain link fence beneath the window and gained entry from there knocking off small tree branches in the process and nobody i don't know when this happened but the killer cut the family's phone lines so they wouldn't be able to call for help which is such a Ah, oh, such a fucked up thing, I swear. So Haruko, the name of the grandmother, Yasuko's mother. Oh, this is the time where I named her. I kept calling her Yasuko's mother. Anyway, grandmother Haruko, who was the one who found the victims, initially told the police that the way she entered the house was that she had unlocked the door using her spare key. So there was an assumption that the door was locked when the grandmother came but in later years she was not so sure so this has made it much harder to confirm exactly how the how the killer entered and exited the building so going back to when the killer went inside the house the investigators assumed that this is when he went to Ray's bedroom and this is when he strangled the poor poor six-year-old child my f goodness so he strangled Ray with his bare hands, bare hands. And Ray at this point in time is already sleeping in his room at the second floor. And Ray was killed through asphyxiation. There was no blood found on Ray's body. And that is why the investigators theorized that the killer murdered him first because there's no blood at all. But then when you look like the when you look at the bodies of the father, the mother, and the daughter, they were stabbed to death. So there's going to be quite a lot of blood from that. But Ray doesn't show any signs of bleeding or just blood on his body. Police assume that before the assault, Mikio was on the first floor working, probably in front of the family computer. And then he heard the commotion and went up to the second floor to check. This is when he meets the attacker and he had a fight with the attacker but unfortunately he lost the fight. And this is why his body was like found on the stairs, at the bottom of the stairs. So the battle or the fight probably happened there at the stairs. So he, Mikio actually f injured the killer until he was killed because he was stabbed in the head. Ouch with a sashimi bocho knife bocho knife sashimi bocho sashimi bocho knife <laughs> so i searched it up in a sashimi sashimi uh, and a sashimi bocho literally means sashimi knife 
It is a type of long, thin knife. And this is used in Japanese cuisine to prepare sashimi, be sliced raw fish or other seafood. As I have said, Mikio's body was found on the first floor, right next to the stairs. He has a lot of wounds, mainly in the thighs and buttocks area. And there's also stab wounds found on his arms, chest, and face. His cause of death was ruled to be blood loss, resulting from chest stab wounds. And actually, the knife, the sashimi knife in his head, it broke. And there's still like a piece of the knife in his skull. It's just brutal, guys. It's so brutal. So around the same time that this fight was happening, an eyewitness walking by the park that, that was behind the Miyazawa's house claimed that they heard the sounds of a family argument. The sounds the eyewitness said were coming from the Miyazawa's house. Another eyewitness also said that they saw some unidentified man run behind the Miyazawa house. So just putting it there. So I suppose the first eyewitness, the one who had heard like family quarreling, probably put it as like, you know, family fights and all of that and just left it at that. So around 11.30 p.m., the grandmother, Haruko, heard the loud bang next door. So the police actually reenacted the scene for her and found that this sound, the bang, could have been either Mikio falling down the stairs or the attic ladder deploying because you'd see that the attic ladder would be part of the crime scene. <clears throat> so however, the sound wasn't enough to make the family, the relatives just beside them suspect that something was happening next door. So some of the wounds that Mikio sustained, there were also multiple stabs on his neck. Have I already said that? I don't know, but I'm just going to reiterate it if I haven't yet. So here it is. A police report said that part of the sashimi knife's blade broke off inside Mikio's head. Oh. And oh my god. And so once Mikio was dead or bleeding, having like dying from blood loss on the floor, the killer then attacked Yasuko and Nina with the broken knife. And he also grabbed a Santoko knife. And this knife was not from him. This is from the house. So he grabbed another knife. And this Santoko knife, the Santoko Bocho, or Bunka Bocho, is a general purpose kitchen knife. It actually originated in Japan. And this, this Santoko Bocho, it actually means three virtues. Because it's, it has a lot of uses. Its blade is typically between 13 and 20 centimeters, or converted to inches, it's 5 and 8 inches long. It has a flat edge and a sheep's foot blade that curves down an angle approaching 60 degrees. So the term santoku may refer to the wide variety of ingredients that the knife can handle or cut, meat, fish, and vegetables, for the tasks it can perform, so it can do a lot from slicing, chopping, and dicing. So that's why it's called the Santoku. So the let's go back to the crime. <laughs> gruesome, gruesome crime. So the investigators think that the last victims are the mother and daughter. And while the crime was happening, probably while Mikio was fighting the attacker, 
they were actually sleeping together in the attic and this attic was accessible by a foldable ladder located on the second floor. Some assume that they were there at the third floor because there was a television there. They might just be relaxing around, watching a show or what the police thinks is they were sleeping. So their bodies were stabbed multiple times, mainly in the face and neck area. So as I've said, they were first attacked by the broken sashimi knife. And then people, the investigators assume that the attacker noticed that the broken sashimi knife is useless. And so he went to the kitchen to grab another knife. And at this point in time, Yasuko and Nina were still alive when the attacker decided to grab another knife. And because the attacker left them, they run. Yasuko grabbed Nina and they started running. And I think they went up to the second floor and they grabbed a first aid kit. I think Yasuko used this to try and get some medical attention for Nina because she was bleeding heavily in her arms or in her arms just Nina Nina was injured and so Yasuko being a mother decided to treat her using the first aid kit so while that is happening the criminal comes back oh my gosh and he is holding a new knife and he finished them he dealt the final blow the both of the bodies were found crouched with their backs touching so police believe that the attacker actually continued to stab Nina and Yasuko far beyond the point at which they had already died. Just uh, makes my stomach flip. How? Especially there's a child. Man, Nina is just 8 years old. So Nina, unfortunately, was the one to die last. My god. Her cause of death? was determined to be a cervical spinal cord injury caused by a backstab wound. Additionally, her first and third tooth were found missing, which suggested that she was not only stabbed, but she was also beaten. The police have found bloodstains on the futon, which suggested that they were attacked while they were sleeping. So I guess the attacker killed Mikio. Mikio falls down the stairs bleeding heavily and then the attacker went up to the third floor to the attic. That's when he found Yasuko and Nina and then he attacked them. So there was the police also found a bloody tissue lying on the attic's floor and this is what they assumed Yasuko used to stop Nina's bleeding. So investigators noted that Yasuko and Nina's wounds were more savage than the stab wounds found on Mikio's corpse and it's also more savage than Rei which was strangled to death so let this led the investigators to, to, to suspect that the killer has this kind of like hatred towards women either in general or the women in the household so based on the stomach contents in the family's stomachs the time of estimated death was placed on 11.30 p.m. So now that the family is dead, fucking hell. The killer, he did not go away immediately. No, he did not even go and clean up the crime scene at all. No. The killer remained inside the house for an estimated 2 to 10 hours. It's a big time gap to... 2 to 10 but that's what 
the police could narrow it down to and the killer actually went to the refrigerator he consumed four bottles of barley tea and this was notable for the police because there's actually a lot of beer inside the refrigerator but he grabbed barley tea which made them think that the killer does not drink alcohol the killer also ate melon and he grabbed and he also consumed four ice creams from the refrigerator he used her toilet he pooped in the toilet and he does not flush absolutely disgusting so feces were just found in the toilet by the, the investigators and the first aid kit he used this to treat his injuries and he also used some sanitary products to i guess stop the bleeding because he is also injured so when the family's first aid kit was found some of the pieces from this first aid kit the pieces of bandaging from the first aid kit was found with eight-year-old nina's blood on them so that's when the that's how the investigators thought or assumed that yasuko was the first one to grab the first aid kit and then the killer just found the first aid kit lying around and he decided to go and use it for himself so tsuchida the one who was uh investigating the case in charge for it said in an interview quote after killing his victims the criminal lingered in the house he ate two cups of ice cream straight from the cups without a spoon instead he squeezed the containers upwards and just proceeded to bite the ice cream <laughs> the fuck? he scattered documents into the bathtub he may have been looking for something or perhaps he was just spending time before leaving end quote so the police would eventually discover four ice cream wrappers uh some of them the popsicle wrappers some of them the cups and they found the killer's fingerprints on them so they managed to grab the killer's fingerprint oh, the killer's fingerprints in those wrappers and these fingerprints matched up with other fingerprints just left all over the house which didn't belong to any of the family members present so the killer is just leaving so many damn clues all around the house so in the living room credit cards bank books driver's licenses and other personal identifying information were just spread out all over as if the suspect has been sorting through them in the second floor bathtub there's more scattered papers there such as receipts items from the mother's school towels sanitary products used to stop bleeding and other garbage were just tossed there in the bathtub at one point the killer rummaged through the family's documents from the first floor storage he pulled out all the drawers and took one of them to the second floor bathroom and this he also dumped into the bathtub what the fuck is this guy doing so yasuko's personal belongings from her two handbags mikio's wallet house keys and various documents met a similar fate so the perpetrator threw some of them into the toilet <laughs> other items like a white towel smeared with the killer's blood and an empty cup of ice cream was also dumped in so there's a lot of clues just littered all around but the killer decides to just leave more items behind on the family sofa and these items were a knife muffler a hip bag or some articles call it the nanny pack sweater a jacket hat gloves shoes and two handkerchiefs 
the investigators actually call this Takaranoyama, which means a mountain of treasures. Because what the heck is this evidence? It looks. It sounds like the killer just decided to strip. Because <laughs> all of these is like he almost just stripped. Like what the heck? So, an analysis of Mikio Miyazawa's computer revealed that it had been connected to the internet at 1.18 a.m. And the, the investigators think that this was the criminal using the computer. And so the killer browsed the internet for 5 minutes and 18 seconds. He visited the site of Shiki Theater Company and attempted to buy tickets. What the heck? To see a show? So this theater company was an internet bookmark that had been saved by Mikio himself. Because Mikio had a history of working with theater, as it had been a passion of his. So it's just weird as to why in the world is the killer trying to buy a ticket? So at some point, nobody knows when, the killer took a nap on the couch in the living room. Then again, sometime in the morning, the computer was used for 4 minutes and 16 seconds. The webpage of Mikia's company and Yasuko's school was visited. Then the computer's power was killed by pulling the power cord. Apparently, the power cord of the computer was not found at the scene of the crime. So it was taken by the killer, they assumed. The suspect's fingerprints were not found on the keyboard, but they were found on the mouse. So actually, for years, the public believed that the killer escaped in the morning because of this. Because the last usage for the usage of the company, uh, the family computer was in the morning. But also, yeah, so in the morning at 10 a.m. So the public was believing that the killer was still there up until that time. But it wasn't until 2014 when the police actually published an article saying that the second connection of the family computer to the internet was most likely an accident because they found the computer mouse fallen under the table and this is when the uh, computer connected to Mikio com Mikio's company's website and this was set as Mikio's homepage so the Japanese police have had run an experiment to make sure that their hypothesis was possible and they used the exact type of macintosh computer that the miyazawa family had used and after this experiment they concluded that the most probable outcome of this was that yasuka's mother was the reason why the mouse was dropped by accident because she was looking around when she found the bodies and therefore the computer was connected to the internet but what about the power cord? You know, makes me think. Makes me think. So this information definitely complicated an already difficult case. Because the previous theory didn't leave a lot of time for the culprit to leave the house. Because Yasuka's mother, Haruko, came to the, to the house after 10am to check on them. So this means that if the murderer is there at around 10am... And then the grandmother went into the house just after 10 a.m. He doesn't have a lot of time to go and leave the scene of the crime. But now, 
there's like a bombshell by the police and now nobody knows when the culprit actually left the house so with this with the past theory being proven untrue the perpetrator could have escaped any time between 1 30 a.m and 10 a.m so the investigators into the murder the investigation into the murders is actually among the largest in japanese history and this involved over 246,044 investigators that's a lot and they have collected over 12,545 pieces of evidence all evidence related to the case remains in custody and japan's national police agency has injected a total of 230,000 man days into the investigation and police officers stay at the crime scene around the clock to protect it the police also offered to pay 200 million yen which when converted to dollars it's 167,200 us dollars in reward to the one who provides some key information leading to the killer's arrest so the clues the scene of the crime was talked about but i haven't talked about the clues and the stuff that the culprit has left it leaves quite a few mind-boggling <laughs> clues it's so weird the culprit's clues they're very mind-boggling and in my uh, opinion it's one of like the weirdest weirdest part of this case the clues that the killer just haphazardly left you know because he he just basically stripped so many things from his own body left it there left his fingerprints left his blood left his poop his stool it, it's so weird so because there's so much uh clues dna just littered literally everywhere in the house the police have been able to dedu to deduce several very specific clues to the perpetrator's identity so looking at the killer's stool disgusting <laughs> my gosh they found that the killer had eaten string beans and sesame seeds the previous day after they analyzed it and uh, a few people thought that this is an indication that the killer is still living with his mother because apparently this like combination of food is considered as something that is easily found in a household like when you're living with your parents and all that stuff because it's one type of food that i guess mothers cook a lot and people who lives alone don't really eat a lot so some people deduced and considered this information as an indication that the killer is somewhat of a mama's boy <laughs> so take that clue as you wish and so that's the first clue the second is the sashimi knife the sashimi bocho that the killer brought with him the brand i believe is yanagiha hawatari and this is bought from a store and the store was actually located by the police it was in the shopping center at ogikubo station they found this specific knife 
I, they found this specific store where the knife was bought. And this was the knife that was used to kill Mikhail, the father. So the sashimi knife and the clothes that was left behind by the killer was determined to have been purchased in Kanagawa Prefecture. And looking at the clothes, the police were able to determine that the killer is 5 foot 7 inches with a waist size of 32.6 inches. He also has this very lean, very thin build, build. So his clothes, what were the clothes that were left? There were a lot. The items were one gray Crusher hat. I think that was the brand Crusher. There's one black AirTech jacket. A white and purple long-sleeved shirt. Sometimes it's called a sweatshirt. Some articles call it a long-sleeved shirt. There's some black gloves. The brand is Edwin. A multicolored scarf. Sometimes people call it a muffler. And this doesn't have any tags, making it hard to identify. And black handkerchiefs. I believe there are two black handkerchiefs to the shirt. It is white with purple sleeves. It's kind of like a three-fourths long sleeves, I think. No, I think it was a very... Yeah, it's, it's long sleeves. <laughs> and the sleeves are purple, but the torso area is white. It is this shirt is only available in Marufuru shops and it's a retail chain that also sold the gloves and the hat that was found at the crime scene. So looking at this shirt that was only available in these certain shops, the police learned that only 130 130 so not much units of the sweater were made and sold. Unfortunately though, the police were only able to track down 12 of the people who bought the sweaters and because the culprit isn't found yet I could just assume that these 12 people doesn't have anything to do with the murders at all so there's this hip bag that was also left at the scene some articles call it a nanny pack it's kind of like the bag that you strip <laughs> that you have in your hips that's why it's a hip bag and it is it had it contains some pieces of evidence that i would call as very weird very it, unique kind of makes this case peculiar in my eyes and the first piece of evidence was a piece of grip tape grip tape that was used for the surface of skateboards and this would influence a theory that I would talk about later once I reach the topic of theories but there's a grip tape that is used for skateboards the second clue was the trace elements of a cologne it's also found in the handkerchief and like in the overall like cloth clothes clothes that was left and this cologne is the brand Drakkar Noir this is weird the third clue that is found in the hip bag or the nanny pack are trace amounts of sand. Sand! They were found not outside, like you know, you'd think that if you place a bag on the floor and there's sand on the floor and some sand would stick on the floor, it's not outside the bag. These sand were found inside the bag and apparently this is so uh, amazing. Forensic analysts can take a piece of sand and using this piece of sand, 
they can pinpoint the exact area that the sand came from. That is so amazing. Wow. And so looking at the traces of sand inside the bag, they determined that the bag did not come from Japan. It did not come from Asia. It came from the Nevada desert in California. More exactly, the area of Edwards Air Force Base in California. And like the grip tape, this would also influence another theory that I would talk about later. Also, I'll talk about like a piece of the theories. <laughs> Many have viewed this as a sign that the killer was probably an airman or somebody in the military or a type of contractor that did business in multiple, in multiple countries. And looking at the handkerchief, they determined that it is ironed. And this also like bolstered the theory that it's a person with military training because apparently this is a sign that iron handkerchiefs are signs of military bearing because apparently military service preach ironing as part of its uniform conduct and while I am not from the military I in my high school we have CAT which kind of like we have uh, kind of like a navy training thing <laughs> you know the marches we even have those guns that are just made of wood and all that stuff so we had kind of like that training it felt kind of more militaristic but not as strict as the actual military and in that whole year of it was in my fourth year in high school my senior year uh <laughs> We had that CAT cadet training and we do, we do iron our handkerchiefs and there's a lot of preaching about cleanliness and making sure the uniform is snappy, kind of like no wrinkles everywhere. So I could attest to the ironing of the handkerchief is what I meant in this weird tangent that I got into. So the bag was well used, so it was well loved. It was relatively small. It can fit an A5 notebook. And this kind of bag was sold in Japan from September 1995 to January 1999. The bag is just under $30. And this bag was produced in Korea using some black-like tests. Some traces of some kind of red fluorescent agent were found as well as some dark strands that police believed is from the killer him himself so this red fluorescent agent apparently indicates that the suspect was involved in some kind of stage prop prop design or highlighters because this is like made with from highlighters stuff just highlighter creations or something within highlighters this red fluorescent agent this is where this particular chemical is used and the family would not have this around because it's not something that you just have around in your household usually. Trace amounts of this chemical was also found in the garage. However, there was no indication that the suspect had ever been in the garage when the murders were happening. This led the investigators to believe that the suspect may have had contact with the family before they decided to kill them. 
So in one report, the chemical is described as barium titanate. I don't know if this is like correct though, because not every single report reported this. But I'm still going to say it though, uh, since I just saw it in like a few or most specifically like not much. <laughs> like I forgot what article it is, but this report described the chemical as barium titanate. And apparently this is an unusual chemical that would not be available over the counter. It is used in complex electronic circuits and in the development of ceramics. So this is leads me to like, is this really the chemical? Because I suppose this case has been uh, talked about a lot. And I wouldn't be surprised if some facts got bent and stretched and kind of like changed and influenced by something else over the passing of the years so in this report that says that the chemical is actually a bar barium titanate apparently this is used for ceramics in specialized electronic equipment sonar to be exact so this is under the bullet that the suspect might be from military because this could be used in airbase sonar equipment so the let's go to the muffler muffler or the scarf or the cloth that you know that you just wrap around your neck whenever it's cold and this is one of the items that are most difficult to pinpoint because it doesn't have a tag so it is unknown who produced it and where it was sold according to some information that the police have received the scarf may have been given away as a freebie at places like game centers, arcades, or uniform stores. Similar to the bag, this muffler, scarf, cloth was also well used. So the hat that the killer was, has used was sold from September 1999 to November 2000. The jacket is in size large. It was a 2000 release available in stores since September 2000. The gloves were produced by Japanese brand Edwin and were purchasable from 1998 to 2000. So the cologne, I've said the Dracar Noir cologne, is a French perfume but it is, but it is sold in Japan since 1982. So the last items which were given a lot of attention by the police were these two black handkerchiefs and they, these were manufactured by a Japanese brand Muji. One of them, the criminal used to wrap around his, no, not his, wrap around the knife's handle so it wouldn't slip when he starts the brutal stabbing. So the, uh, one of the, one of the handkerchiefs that was used for this had three, had a three centimeter long cut in the middle, in the middle of the fabric. So according to the Tokyo police's informers, this technique, you know, wrapping the handkerchief around the handle of the blade, is used by Chinese workers at a fish factory. And this prevents the knife from slipping when they were cleaning seafood. So that's one thing to, to take note of. So this is another weird part of this case. This, this, this. So all of these clothing items were found to have been washed by hard water means that the water that was used to clean the clothing was full of minerals and vitamins that were not usually found in regularly occurring water and take this 
Japan doesn't have a hard water system. So the water running through the taps and every and what they use for laundry isn't hard water at all. Japan has long used a soft water system, meaning that the water itself is just water with some sodium. And this is like weird because these clothes, where did the killer wash it? And this kind of like fuels the theory that the killer might not have been from Japan at all. So in the pocket of the sweater, the police found, this is so weird, <laughs> found traces of bird dropping, some traces of the Japanese zelkova tree and willow leaves were found, which is just weird. Or not as weird if you think that maybe he is crouching or hanging around places with those stuff. I don't know, but just something to take note of. So, as I have talked about in the crime scene, the killer not only left his clothes around, he also left a lot of DNA and a lot of fingerprints all throughout the house. But looking at the fingerprints and the DNA, none of them matched in their databases indicating that they do not have a criminal record of whoever has done this so the mpd has compared the fingerprints found in the house with about 50 million prints including those of individuals with a history of trespassing and other crimes and after gaining their consent the police also contacted collected fingerprints of the acquaintances of the four family members and other people of interest so they were really not just going through with it like we need to find who the killer is but but there's no traces of him by november the public had already provided by november of that year the public had already provided 13,658 tips to police and this is unusually high Japan, I suppose. The police said that they examined each piece of information, but none has led to a break breakthrough of just anything. So, looking at the shoes, because the killer also left his shoes. <laughs> uh. So the the shoes were from a British brand. Oh no, Slazengers, Slazengers, and this brand has produced models that were sold in south korea and in japan so it was also sold in japan however these uh size of shoes that was found in the miyazao household it was never sold in japan but it was sold in south korea and only south korea sold the shoe in size matching the perpetrator's footprints and this is the second item originating from south korea so I could only, you could, I suppose you could deduce that there would be a theory pointing to someone from South Korea. So discovering that the killer was wearing South Korean sneakers, Japanese police sent officers to South Korea to compare the culprit's fingerprints with those of Korean ex-convicts. It was the first request of this kind, but ultimately it was refused by the South Korean government. So no uh, comparison happened between the ex-convicts of Korean citizens and these culprits' fingerprints. So looking at all, at all of the uh, clues, 
The police estimated that the killer was born between 1965 and 1985. This makes them 15 to 35 years old at the time of the incident. Because of the fitness that was required for entering the house. Because police do believe that the murderer climbed through a second story bathroom window. And you need like nimbleness and strength for that. And so they believe that the culprit could be 15 to 35 years old. And in the wounds of the family members, it indicates that the killer is likely to be right-handed. So the killer's blood was analyzed and it revealed traces of type A blood. So there's a blood. I mean, so there's blood in the murder scene that was analyzed and it was revealed to be type A which could not have belonged to the Miyazawa family so the police de determined or assumed that this is the killer's blood so they had a DNA analysis of this blood and this determined the killer is male possibly a mixed race male with maternal DNA indicating a mother of European descent possibly from a South Possibly from a South European con European why is it so hard to say it? Possibly from a South European country near the Mediterranean or Adriatic Sea, and the paternal DNA indicated a father of East Asian descent. So there's European traces, but apparently it's possible that this European maternal DNA comes from a distant ancestor in the mother's side rather than like, you know, a fully European mother. Analysis of the Y chromosome showed the haplogroup OM122, and this is commonly distributed in East Asian people, appearing in 1 in 4 or 5 Koreans, 1 in 10 in Chinese, and 1 in 13 in Japanese. So it might be like a mother that is East Asian or Asian, but they have like european blood mixed within them so these results led the tmpd to seek assistance through the international criminal police organization as the killer may not be japanese or present in japan because of the possibility of an international angle the investigation was undertaken by staff at two sections of the tokyo metropolitan police department the investigative section one this could be described as the MPD's major case squad and the Department of Public Security which networks with law enforcement organizations overseas. So this makes the search even wider. And we don't know where the killer is. If you don't if you don't believe or kind of like if you think that the killer might not be in Japan, he might be anywhere else, everywhere else. So that's it became the world all of a sudden. So police had a lot of evidence, but the one thing they lacked was a lot of witnesses. They had just two supposed sightings. So the first one came from a woman who claimed that she was near the crime scene driving a car sometime after 11.30pm. Suddenly, she spotted a man who was rushing out of the Miyazawa's house neighborhood and then jumped before her car. Surprised, and she doesn't want to run over it a person i guess she starts swerving and then he managed to evade her vehicle and run away 
The information though was dismissed by the police because they didn't find any signs of blood on the street. So I suppose they believe that the killer is bloody and he would have left like a couple of blood drops throughout the street. So they ruled this out. The other sighting happened the day after the murder. In Nico, a man with a wound on his arm was spotted at Tobuniko Station around 2-3 to three hours away from Setagaya. So he received treatment from a station worker because he was bleeding. <laughs> Once again, the police didn't find this information helpful because this wound, even if it's so deep, you could see the bone. Ouch! It didn't fit with the police's image of the injury that the killer would have had. Though, if he's not the killer, the killer, what the fuck happened to him? That's such a deep wound. So, lacking proper witnesses, the whereabouts of the intruder are unknown. There's an image of him. What we have only is an image of him before the murder. The image that the police has of him was only before the murder because the police knew that he bought like you know the knife that he used to kill the family and so they looked through a supermarket camera near Kitioji station's northern exit and he the, the killer was spotted by this supermarket camera and this is where the murder weapon was purchased so there's a research institute in Shizuoka that is currently working on establishing a more detailed look of the perpetrator based on the DNA left at the crime scene. So according to a scientist working on this case, there is a possibility of figuring out if the perpetrator had any illnesses or what is his skin color and even some details about the facial features. I haven't seen like what this study or project has what the results of this project is quite yet but if i found it i'll put it in instagram i suppose or i could like do a follow-up of this case in a mini in the future so there are, these are like the major clues the major witnesses or lack of witnesses but there are some weird things to take note of so first looking at the colleagues of miyazawa they think that the murder was unlikely job-related because he wasn't working on anything particularly sensitive or controversial, said one of his associates in an interview on Japanese television. They believe that Mikio is a congenial man who got along with everyone and he is definitely not the sort of person to make enemies. So that's what they think. Probably not because of the job that Mikio is currently... or. That Mikio was working through. So these murders understandably have added a lot of fear in the Japanese community and this led to quite a breakdown in terms of Japan's low crime society. While they have high unemployment, large-scale illegal immigration, and a widespread questioning of traditional values at the time, so this led some Japanese citizens to question quite a lot of things because of this murder so another weird thing to take note of is apparently in the neighborhood in the neighborhood apparently in the summer months the community had started to notice that some of the animals around the area were being physically tormented 
There are some rumors that rodents have been found, having been killed, and even the local cats had been tortured. One eyewitness even recalls seeing a stray that they were friendly with suddenly appear without a tail one day. So I don't know how that is connected to the case, but I suppose they are in this state where anything weird, anything at all in around the neighborhood or near the place, they would take up, take note of because they don't really have any like proper leads to go through. So in an interview with Tsuchida, he made a point or he has a statement that has a lot of points to think about. So this is what he said, quote, Several hundred thousand yen are believed to have disappeared, but the question remains, were the killings done for financial gain, out of some deep-seated personal hatred or the act of a divine personality? Nothing seems to make sense. The killer brought gloves, but from the beginning committed the killings barehanded. Because you know, strangling Ray barehanded, it's weird, I thought of that as well. Normally, if premeditated, a killer would have worn gloves. It also seems strange that instead of a survival knife, he chose a slender knife used for slicing sashimi called a yanagibahocho. Its blade is unsuitable for stabbing humans, that's why it broke. And there's something inconsistent with criminal premeditation in the way he broke into a house with the lights out and killed the entire household. End quote. So there's another... Also, I don't know if I've said it already, but some money did disappear, but it's not a lot of money. So people think that. Is this like the perpetrator's way of making it look like it's a robbery or some sort? Anyway, there's another point of debate when it comes to the criminal's entry point some people kind of like are skeptic if he really did use the bathroom window so one of the investigators in an interview with excite magazine revealed that the police actually had some doubts about this so the uh, investigator himself found the perpetrator's pristine state of clothes to be bizarre the ones who are left inside the house his jacket and fanny pack bore no signs of abrasion or wear, and no linen or fiber was left on the window. But if you think about it, the only other way in was the front entrance. The problem is that this door was locked. So for the theory to be plausible that the murderer went in through the front door, he would have been an acquaintance of the family. The kind of acquaintance that the family would let in even if it's late into the night. So the supporters of this theory that he is someone who the family knows have pointed out that the footprints left in blood were going only upwards the stairs, starting from the middle of the first floor stairs. So if the criminal wasn't an intruder but truly someone who the family has invited in, he would have been expected to remove his shoes at the home's entrance because that's in the culture of the Japanese people. You have like this landing in front of the door and then you take out your shoes, leave your shoes there, and then you walk around the house like that. So the bloody footprints could be explained by blood making stairs slippery, forcing him to wear shoes once again because why are the shoes in the house? So people think why it's... There's so many weird things in this case. And another weird thing 
these are a series of weird occurrences in like few days before the crime happened so on december 25th christmas yasuko had the mother had mentioned to her father-in-law that someone's car was being repeatedly parked in front of their house so it's just something weird that she told her her father that she told her father-in-law so two days after on december 27th a man described as in his 40s was seen wandering around the house two days later that on december 29th the day before the crime a young man was seen was seen near seijukakuin may station wearing an outfit similar to the one that was found at the scene of the crime along with a very small backpack so the eyewitness clearly remembered this because the man was underdressed for the weather because it's cold and this isn't kind of this isn't the type of clothes that you'd wear in this weather so she remembered it and took note of it so on the day of the crime on december 30th a man matching the description of the suspect was seen near Sengawa station almost a mile from the miyazawa home he is stated to be between 35 to 40 years old and this is on the 30th as well i've already talked about it that there was a man running away near the home at around 11 35 35 pm so on the 29th of december going back a day the police believe that a man matching the the rough description of the criminal this is the day where the, he purchased a sashimi knife it was the only one purchased at the supermarket on this day so it was relatively easy to trace so there's see there's so many weird things to think about to talk about and there's still more and this is the sightings after the crime because i talked about the sightings before the crime weird stuff happening happened that had happened before the crime to take note of and now it's about the sightings after the crime so on december 31st happy new year my god six hours after the discovery of the crime and probably seven hours after the killer had already fled the scene a young man was treated for a knife wound at toboniko station around 75 miles to the north of the miyazawa's house the man was believed to be in his 30s and he's wearing a black down jacket and jeans the station staff treated him for the wound which was deep enough to see the bone the staff at the scene were surprised at how like calm the man is even if the injury was bad and viewed him as rather suspicious hence the good recollection of the details in that day the man did not give his name nor did he give a reason for why he is injured and he was just simply treated and released this time the investigators thought that the criminal had left the scene the night before and it wasn't until months later when they had when they had examined the forensic evidence that they realized that the suspect had stayed in home so they didn't know kind of like they they didn't have the uh, hindsight is that how you say it or did i say the word correctly but they didn't have like the with wherewithal to go and investigate this man and so that opportunity was lost so as i have said there's money that was taken but not much and the killer has taken 150,000 yen converted to us dollars it's 
$1,256, it's money. You know, I wouldn't say no <laughs> to be given that amount of money, but inside the house, there's a lot of valuable items and cash that were not taken away from the home. So the murder must not be about the money. There's an old jacket that was missing. This is so weird. And all of the family's Happy New Year great greeting cards because they send greeting cards in New Year and their greeting cards were missing. That's so weird. So the power cord to the computer, I've already mentioned that, but I'm just going to reiterate it now. So there's another strange story connected to the murder of the family and this comes from a cab driver a taxi driver he picked up a he picked up several middle-aged men on december 30. the unnamed driver told the tokyo metropolitan police that he picked up three men in total and all of them were above the age of 30 middle-aged men one of the men left behind traces of blood in his car's back seat the driver also said that none of the men talked during the entire drive. That's so awkward. So despite the blood evidence found at the crime scene, and despite the blood found in the back seat of the taxi cab, the Tokyo police have yet to connect anyone to the murder. So it might not be them. It might be them. Nobody knows. The police are the only ones who knows. So the, uh, with only 2% of genetic material, scientists can develop a profile. We have learned about profile like, like this in a lot of true crime cases. They could make a profile similar to a sketch by a police artist of the individual's likely physical appearance. And this data can be cross-referenced to, to ancestry sites on the web. And this could lead the family members and trace the... This could lead the police and the other family members to trace the killer's identity. And this is widely used by the law enforcement in the US. But the law in Japan prevents this. And the law prevents exploratory profiles of crime suspects from being made public. So, so it's kind of like the law is hindering the police from releasing this type of information to the public. So in early April, about 100 days after the murders, the police found something interesting and weird, in my opinion. So this was originally brought in as evidence because they had discovered a small Buddhist statue less than a mile away from the home. So this statue was in the image of Jizo, a Buddhist deity that protects children in the afterlife. In Eastern Asian incarnations of Buddhism, Jizo is said to have to protect children in the afterlife who die before their parents, keeping them safe from demons as they ascend to the spirit world. So the police thought that perhaps the killer had left it behind as a sign of guilt or remorse. And this just makes me think that they're really just taking in anything weird that could be put as evidence, which I'm not, I'll probably be one of these people that that's weird, that's weird. <laughs> So I'm not going to like blame them at all for just picking with the weird stuff. So now that the weird clues, weird sightings, weird eyewitness statements have been talked about, let's go to theories on who might the killer be. So the police have created 
three possible motives. Let's go to the motives first. So it's either money, grudge, or some kind of unknown thing. So the money, it tends to bring a lot of skeptics out, like me, because I've said money was taken, but it it's not a lot of money compared to the valuable items within the house. And this is all there there are also a couple of downsides to this theory. So first of all, for someone who wasn't in a hurry, he napped. <laughs> he wasn't in a hurry. He didn't take all the money. He rummaged through drawers and purses and stuff, but he didn't take all valuable things he has seen. He has left around 190,000 yen in foreign currency totaling to 5,000 yen. And looking at the method of killing, it was so excessive. If you think of like robbery as a motive and if it's like kind of like killing because he was found why would he kill yasuko and nina who were sleeping in the attic while he was like attacking the father why would he kill the people who are left in the house that doesn't really know what's happening they were asleep if he's just going to go and steal some money he could have taken the money and then left so some investigators suspected that the intruder throwing away his stuff, the destroying things, and taking some money, but not all, could just be a camouflage in a part of some kind of elaborate plan to take police off his tracks. And the strangeness of the murder leaves a lot of place for imagination. There's so this is like, what is the motive? They don't know. This might be anything else besides money and grudge the grudge that people believe that might be focused on the women because the way nina and yasuko died is a lot more brutal especially if you think about the fact that they have been stabbed even if they were already dead and if you think about it today was just strangled i mean it's still bad but it's not as gruesome as the other family member so if this is a grudge what did the other family members do or what why you know so some people believe that the violence inflicted on the females could point to a young man who is infatuated and just having a delusion so those are the theory theories when it comes to what the motive is so let's go to the theories on who might be the killer so the first is a skater you know because the park behind the house a lot of skaters hang around that house and sometimes mikio goes out to confront them when they become way too noisy and this could this had led to some conflicts and some people think that the murderer might be a skater especially if you think about the clothes that were left at the scene of the crime some witnesses even said that Mikio had confronted some members of a local motorcycle gang so they might they think that if not a skater might be someone from that gang so in the theory the people think that the criminal could have lived somewhere near a place close to like the park and it's possible that he came in contact with the with the Miyazawas before the murder took place on the other side though of the board like skeptics 
that think that nah he might not be a skater or a motorcycle person at all <laughs> motorcycle person because they point out the shoes some people point out that these Lazenger's shoes is kind of like an unusual pair of shoes for skateboarding because this i guess i suppose it's something hard to use when you're maneuvering a skateboard these shoes plus if they were one of the people that was confronted in the park and they hang around a lot in the park people would know who they are and their fingerprints would have been taken because the police are like so focused in this investigation especially in the first months or even years of the crime so they would have been sought after they would have been given attention by the police and their fingerprints were most likely would have been checked and so that's one point from the skeptics side and i have found this fact and it's saying that well the clothing is kind of like looking like clothes from a skater it also points to a more dangerous group apparently so looking at the local motorcycle gang theory there's this gang of bikers called the Bosozoku. They visit the park on occasion and apparently they were called, they were labeled in 2013 as a pseudo yakuza with the police. So I suppose they were like a gang that you should avoid. And people believe that if not a skater, maybe from this gang. But this particular trail was a dead end, unfortunately. Let's go to the next theory, and this is quite controversial. <laughs> it's controversial for me. I think it, it's controversial mostly because it was the theory was published in a book by an investigative journalist named Fumiya Ichihashi. And Fumiya, or Ichihashi, has spent years researching the case. And he ended up writing a book concluding that the killer was a former South Korean army soldier turned killer for hire. Should I say that again? A South Korean army soldier turned killer for hire. So according to his book, people in the neighborhood whose homes were affected by the expansion, you know that's why the neighborhood was slowly getting abandoned because of this expansion project. and. He said in the book in his book that the people in the neighborhood were paid considerable compensation for this. So in some cases they were they were paid over 100 million yen. So when conveying concerns, when Yasuko conveyed concerns that she was hesitant to leave because of her son's health condition to somebody called Mr. K, Yasuko Miyazawa believed is believed to have mentioned the financial things that are attributed to this move. So K targeted them by procuring the services of somebody called R. <laughs> so he's not saying the names. That's why I'm saying it's kind of controversial. He's he's not saying the names and I haven't seen like police investigation. I'm gonna continue just saying the theory <laughs> instead of rambling. So, in the book, it was said that a South Korean man referred to only as K 
appointed the author Ichihashi in the direction of the killer, who in the book is given the pseudonym R. So the, the Mr. K, Ichihashi said that the Mr. K went to him and pointed him to R. So Ichihashi claims to have made contact with R and he described R as a former member of the South Korean military. Ichihashi said that he was able to obtain the man's fingerprints, which he determined to be a match with those collected at the crime scene by the police. So Ichihashi believes that the killer's motivating factors was an attempt to steal compensation money paid to the family over the expansion of the nearby park. So his interpretation was that the criminal was not Japanese, did not live in Japan, and he immediately escaped overseas after the, after the uh, murder. And Ichihashi believes that police officers failed in their initial investigation. He said in an interview, quote, When the incident happened, the special investigators at the Tokyo Metropolitan Police were all working on different cases and it had no choice but to send their reserve team. Also, as it was New Year's Eve, many detectives were at home and it took time to send the investigators. We can't deny the possibility that this led to an unresolved case. End quote. So kind of like, I mean, it could have been a factor as to why the case is still unresolved, but he definitely is blaming the police for this. So, in an interview with Takeshi Tsuchida, the police who was uh, assigned to the case, he said that it's 100% complete nonsense. So, Tsuchida said that if the book was true, the criminal would have already been caught, but he doesn't believe that it's like the criminal at all. So, looking at the skeptic side and siding with Tsuchida Takeshi, is that his name? Yeah, Tsuchida Takeshi, some skeptics say that when the th while the theory was tempting, it was tantalizing, the killer, if it's money, <laughs> say that there's also like motivation for money, the killer did not steal much. So going through that uh, argument again. So there's another weird theory about the Miyazawas being involved with the Korean Unification Church. Apparently, since the Miyazawas didn't want to sell off their land to the church, they got murdered by an assassin. I don't know where that theory came from, and honestly, I did not dig much into that. There's another theory that revolved around the murder being mentally ill, or a just a robbery gone absolutely wrong. So now let's look at another theory on who or what the killer be and this is a theory that people think some assume that the killer is an american serviceman or someone from the american military because uh actually the american military presence in japan has been constant in the country since the end of the world war ii so it's not kind of like far-fetched that somebody in that career path or like job or in the american military presence might have been the one to do this especially if you look at the water used to wash the clothes 
and all that stuff. So since the American military presence, sadly, there's quite a lot of crimes that U.S. soldiers, Marines, sailors, and airmen have committed in the Japanese country. And given the ugly history of like people hurting other people in that group, and given that people think that the suspect is a mixed race person, some have suggested that the killer is either an American soldier or some contractor working on a nearby American military installation. And apparently it would not have been hard for somebody who is like not from the country from Japan to reach the Miyazawa house from Tokyo because the family's house is actually located close to several train stations most of which had service to downtown Tokyo and since Japan relies a lot on their subway as their transportation there's quite a lot of stops to be able to board a train to go to different places and that's about it for that theory the next theory is the last one that i have noted down i think and this is that the killer is just someone who is drifting around you know just random killings a serial killer or like somebody who's just drifting around kind of like a serial killer that just kills randomly which is if you ask me absolutely it's a terrifying concept but it's not impossible because there's quite a few serial killers that have done this just randomized killing randomized targets so actually while japan is actually often upheld as an example of restrictive immigration so immigrate migrating and moving to the country is a little harder than like usual i suppose the country has had a problem with illegal immigration and most of these uh, illegal migrants comes from northeast and south asia and this occurs had occurred since the 1980s so it is possible that the killer was an illegal immigrant or a drifter who utilized the train service in japan in order to commit crimes and then escape somewhere else maybe into even another country and that could explain as to why there's no fingerprints because they are illegal and i i guess they're kind of like invisible because they're trying to be invisible to the government <clears throat> and that's the last of the theories as to who who the killer is why the crime had happened and I don't know the motive it uh, nothing much is known in the succeeding years in the aftermath of the crime and up till now it's still unsolved so on december 30 2014 is the 14th anniversary of the murder and around 30 police investigators visited the crime scene and they laid flowers for the victims to show their respects so according to the japanese daily Nihon Keizai Shimbun, a newspaper, the head of the investigation team, Tsuchida, apologized for having failed so far to apprehend the killer and he vowed to continue his investigation. In 2015, it was reported that 40 officers were assigned to the case full-time, so they're still absolutely going for this case, 
In 2019, it was reported that 35 officers are still assigned to the case. And every year, the TMPD makes a pilgrimage to the house for memorial ceremonies. And Takeshi Tsuchida, the one who was initially designated as the person in charge of the investigation, had to retire eventually. But I think he is still like working on the case even after his retirement because he could not just forget the case. And he is, he actually uh, visits the grandmother. Not Haruko, but Setsuko, the one who has the shrine in her house. He visits her ever so often, just, you know, paying respects to the, to the shrine and making sure that he shows that he is not forgetting the case at all. So in 2019, the TMPD unfortunately announced that the Miyazawa house will be torn down because of a valid reason, actually because there is this risk of collapsing because the house had aged nobody had lived there it's just you know deteriorating lack of maintenance and there's a risk of collapsing with the interior already showing signs of deterioration but the this move this announcement was appealed by the family and supporters because they do not want the house to be torn down uh, when it comes to the evidence inside, the superintendent, Ide, the one who had replaced Tuchida, said that they had preserved all of the possible evidence inside, so there would be no impact on the investigation if the home was torn down. So the... I don't know much about if the house was torn down or not. Honestly, hopefully not yet. Um, so the families, the families that were left, to mourn for their family members that had been killed, they made a group, they founded a group in February 2009, and the group campaigned for the abolishment of the statute of limitations for crimes. Finally, they managed to elicit a revision in this law in 2010, and this is the Japan's law of on criminal procedures. And this eliminated the 25-year statute of limitations for crimes corresponding to a death penalty. So they made a move and they made a change to the law. For the better? I think so. So the police, even until now, yearly, they still hand out flyers about the events of the night. Actually, I have seen like a couple of pictures that they do send out flyers and also they have this mannequin i think this mannequin has the same height has the same stature stature as what they assume the killer has and this mannequin is wearing the clothes that are similar to what the killer left at the scene just to show people that this is what the killer looks like and so just making sure that the public does not forget the crime and maybe some person out there sees the flyers and thinks that okay i'm going to give a tip you know just in case they could make or just uh elicit a response a tip or anything that could help the investigation even if it has been decades since the crime so <clears throat> as i have said takeshi had to retire and he was replaced by manabu ide it is from the Tokyo Metropolitan Police Special Investigative Task Force. 
Tokyo Metropolitan Police Special Investigative Task Force and he remains confident that the case will ultimately be solved and he said in an interview, quote, It's our mission to arrest the criminal who murdered four innocent people, including two young children, and make him atone for his crime. Can the new people who haven't experienced the graphic crime scene themselves focus on the investigation? I feel worried, end quote. He said that on the interview as well. And while he is still worried, he feels like there's still hope because they still have the DNA. They still have the evidence. The people who first worked on the case that have, been, that have retired, I think, are still very passionate on with the case. And there's still like quite a police effort to go and focus on the case, even if it is, I think, could be said as a cold case by now. And I like the fact that there's still work going on, even if it's not as much as before, because of course there's still crimes, there's still quite a lot of things that are happening that they need to put energy on, but it, it's kind of good to see that the police haven't totally forgotten the case, and they're still working on, they're still like people who are assigned to the case and be able to go and achieve justice and since they have the dna i hope they do find the guy there's quite a lot of evidence just scattered around and it it's absolutely astounding me that the perpetrator can just doesn't it's he just disappeared into thin air and it kind of makes me think that it's either and this just I don't know, it kind of make it that kind of makes me wonder if the perpetrator is someone who has a very powerful backing behind him and that's why he is invisible after like a lot of investigation. That's also one kind of theory that you could think of. Because me looking at the scene of the crime and the amount of uh clues and evidence that was left at the crime and the person brought gloves but he was barehanded he left clothes that that his clothes he left them he left his own blood at the scene of the crime it's so weird makes me think that that's just it's either he's stupid or he is bold enough to think that nah i'm not going to get caught even if I leave all of these stuff, I am not going to get caught. So, a person could... How could a person be bold? Imagine, like, if you think of a scenario where it's not stupidity, but just boldness that no matter how much evidence that he leaves in the crime scene, he is not going to get caught. I don't think a person could be that bold if he is not supported by good evidence that he is not going to get caught you know so just just <laughs> just something that is swirling inside my mind while i research this case and i hopefully and i hope 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 that in the future with all of these dna evidence and all that stuff the person the killer could be caught because no matter how i look at it the family is very like just like your average innocent family i mean i don't know them for sure but that's how it looks like 
<laughs> they're just the average Japanese family. They're not. It's it's just so weird. The motive is vague. The killer is. That, that that's what makes me like absolutely crazy in this case. It's so bananas that first there's so much evidence, but the killer seems to be just invisible. Nobody could find them. Second, the motive is so unclear. <laughs> like, what was the motive? Three, the the weirdness <laughs> in the crime itself, like. Bringing, out, bringing gloves, using your bare hands anyway. What? 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 It's so weird. Anyway, that is the end of the case and I have rambled quite enough. Hopefully I could edit this down into like a proper, decent, uh, not so rambly episode. Because <laughs> uh, so many weird and strange just evidences and facts are littered all throughout this case. And that's it. I hope you found the case fascinating at the very least. And I hope you enjoyed it in a way <laughs> that's not like, yes, murder. No, not like that. Please, it's murder. Murder is sad. Just, yeah, you get what I mean, hopefully. So, uh, hint. Oh, yeah, the hint for the next episode would be, yeah, don't go to the mountain, all nine of you. Don't go to the mountain. <laughs> the case is a fairly popular one, so I think this is a fairly easy thing to guess. I suppose so. And so I hope you look forward to the next episode. And yeah, if you have any stories that you want me to cover or want me to share, some stories that stories that you have experienced, stories that your other family members, close friends, or just uh fascinating facts that you want me to read out loud in this podcast you could email me at macabramblings at gmail.com and if you don't want to contact me there <laughs> you could contact me on instagram or twitter instagram is macabramblings podcast and twitter is at macarambles it's m-a-c-a rambles and that's about it don't forget to eat don't skip meals always hydrate now that i think about it i have talked quite long enough that i probably have to drink myself so no i'm not going to drink myself i'm going to drink water me too <laughs> so anyway i i think my brain is like slowly slowly shutting down by now and i think you could notice that so anyway uh don't forget to hydrate keep yourself hydrated all the time it's good uh take care of yourselves well your health is very 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 important and so that's about it stay spooky everybody and don't forget don't forget this is the most important thing of all stay safe bye bye